So we're, we're in the middle of Perik Dalid, and last week at the end of class, meaning the previous class at the very end, a question came in through the chat. And by the way, everyone is welcome to uh, write questions in the chat. It is very much welcome. Um, somebody asked about healing and specifically about seeking out experts. And I mentioned, based on letters that I've seen from the Rebbe, that the Rebbe definitely emphasized getting a second opinion or even a third opinion. The Rebbe definitely emphasized Rafi Yadid, a doctor who cares about you, also a doctor that you like and that you have confidence in. And I wasn't so sure if the Rebbe spoke about getting the best expert or not. So after class, my mother, Zolgozunzain, sent me some uh, texts saying that actually there are definitely such uh, sources. And uh, I'm mentioning my mother sent it to me because it is a halacha that if you learn something from your parent, you should say it in their name. So, um, there is a letter, this is from the book Healthy in Body, Mind, and Spirit. And uh, the title of the letter is A Specialist in the Particular Element Should Serve as the Primary Consultant. My mother wrote a note that the titles are presumably Rabbi Weinberg's. She's correct, they, they are. But here is the excerpt from the letter from Igris Kodesh, uh, volume 17, page 55. Um, I was somewhat taken aback about your writing that you are consulting with a doctor who is not a specialist in your son's ailment, but is an internist. So. I don't know if that means seeking the best top expert in the field, but definitely there is such an idea as seeking an, a, a, a specialist, somebody who specializes in a particular element. Okay. Also, another letter entitled, Seek Out a Specialist with Much More Experience. Okay, so there it says, with regard to seeking treatment for your face, seeking treatment is the correct course of action, for we've been commanded to do all that we can through natural means, and permission was granted to the healer to heal. However, you should seek out a doctor who is a specialist in this field, and more importantly, one who has had much more experience in the area, and who therefore will be more, who will be able to more easily diagnose the exact type of treatment you're in need of. And another one. Um, this is called, next one is called, uh, seek out the advice of a specialist. Since Hashem desires that we do everything we can in a natural manner, it is important that you receive the advice of an expert. In your situation, a doctor who specializes in nervous conditions and follow his advice. Okay, and then finally, my mother sent me this, when in doubt, seek the advice of two specialists. In all questions of health, if there's any doubt, one should act on the unanimous advice of at least two specialists. So definitely there is such a concept as seeking somebody who specializes and somebody who has experience. And it seems to be the common theme that Rebbe is emphasizing and re-emphasizing that since we were enjoined to seek out natural means for healing, so part of the natural means is that the doctor specializes in the field and has experience in the field. Okay, so um, I'm very glad to be able to clear that up. Now, continuing in the text. 
we were speaking about wealth. We were speaking about health and wealth. But last thing is we were speaking uh, about wealth. Okay. Um, so let's continue inside. The Yesh Sheman Higabeda Tarfe Rabim Mibne Adam Aliad Ish Echad Mehem. Sometimes the Creator so orders it that many people obtain their livelihood through one person. We're going to speak about somebody who has the Nisayan, who has the test of being the um, intermediary, so to speak, being the pipeline or the delivery system for other people's parnasa. You know, we, we tend to think about our own parnasa and means through which we obtain it. Sometimes we are the means through which someone else receives, or more than someone else, many someone else's, plural, receive their sustenance. And that's what we're going to speak about right now. And the reason that this person was given this stewardship over other people's wealth is in order to test his service of Hashem. The Yasim es Zeminasibes Hachazokes Shibesibes and the Sayin Vasasa Lai. And such a position presents him with one of the most powerful sources of a trial and temptation that a person could face. They say the test of wealth is uh, much more difficult than the test of poverty. Kemelech, for instance, a king, Shuhumatrif Cheloi, who sustains his army, Vavadav and his servants, Vichain Hasodim, also ministers, Vereye Hamelech, Vasagonin, also the uh, various deputies and the high officials, Asher Svivesayem Kites Mavdeyem, they have an entourage around them. Vishamashehem, they have uh, attendants. Ufikdehem, they have officials, vinoshim and wives, ukravim and relatives. You know, they have all these people around them that they have to take care of and support. And they make every effort to raise money for their dependents, employing means that are good and sometimes uh, bad. But that's, uh, you know, when you have a lot of people depending on you. You know about the rabbi called up this uh, rich guy, and he says, you know, we notice you never made a donation in all these years to the local synagogue. We were thinking, uh, you know, this guy was very, very, very wealthy. So, uh, you know, it was worth, you know, millions. So he says, well, maybe you'd like, uh, you know, uh, 1800 this year. So he says, Rabbi, it's very nice of you to count my money, and you think you know, you know what, what, what I should be giving. But let, let, me, let me tell you something. Do you know that uh, I have a brother-in-law who has a disability and who, and who has five children? He's out of work, and he's, he's, he can't work. He has a family to support. No, you didn't know that, did you? Did you know that I have a son who uh, he, 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 can't get a, he can't get hired in his field? He can't, he can't get a job. 
30 years old, and, he, and, he's, and he's married, and he doesn't have a job. Do you know I have a mother who's not well, and, and she has very expensive treatments? Do you know all of that? The rabbi says, no, I didn't know any of that. The rich guy says, well, well it's true. And if I don't support any of them, why do you think I'm going to support you? Anyway, so sometimes there is somebody who uh, has a lot of dependents. There are a lot of people who rely on him for their, uh, for their sustenance. So let's say you're in that situation where you are the one who has to support people. You know, and to some extent, you know, if you're not uh, the one who pays, you know, who, who has to, to meet payroll, or you're not somebody who has, you know, a staff, but, you know, we have a family, we have children, we have to support our children, right? Um, you know, by the way, about the father, his kid comes to him and he says, Dad, can I borrow $20? And the father says, $10? Why do you need $5? I can't give you more than a dollar. Here's a quarter. <laughs> by the way, I told this joke to a friend of mine who's not Jewish, and he got really embarrassed, and he's like, Oh, that's not a nice joke. I said, why is that not a nice joke? He says, well, it's a, it's a Jewish joke. But he didn't want to tell me for a long time. He's like, it's not nice. I said, well, what's not nice? What's not Well, it's a... Finally, he tells me, it's, it's a Jewish joke. It's not nice. I said, no, it's not a Jewish joke. He says, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I heard it. That's the way I heard it. I thought it was a Jewish joke. And I said, you know, by us, it's just a joke. <laughs> you know, it's like, what do they call Chinese food in China? Food. <laughs> right? So the non-Jews say that's a Jewish joke. So what do the Jews call the Jewish joke? A joke. It's just a joke, okay? Father, you know, son came to the father and said, can I have $20? Anyway, okay. So um, let's say this person is uh, being tested with being the one who has to provide for others, Okay. And he says, this is a really, really serious test. This is a very severe test. You know, there's an expression, chassidim have, they say there's three things that change a person. Money, mashka, and chassidus. That if you, if you have any of these, th th these three things, they change your personality. You can't remain the same person. So if a person says, well, I, I know guys, you know, they, they made money and it didn't change them. Okay, let them earn a little bit more money and you'll see eventually it'll change them. Or, you know, Mashka, I know some, you know, they had a little drink and it didn't, well, okay, they got to drink more. They'll drink enough. It'll change them. Same thing with Chassidus. I learned Chassidus. It didn't change me. Okay, you got to learn more. If you learn more, it'll change you. Okay, so these are, these are the things that really, I mean, this is the thing. Wealth is a test to see if someone's going to be a responsible steward with, with the wealth. Okay. Um, the fool will err in three ways. Okay? Now we're going to learn the three errors that the fool makes when Hashem entrusts him to be the steward of other people's wealth. Okay. One of the errors is in accumulating the wealth. Kihu because 
He takes by shameful and wicked methods what the Creator decrees is His to take. You didn't have to do it that way. If He had sought it in normal means, respectable means, he would have achieved what he sought. And he would have been able to retain his religious and secular standards. And he wouldn't lack anything at all what he was supposed to get. In other words, he has to meet payroll because he has to take care of these people. Or he has to make more money because he, he supports a family, right? So if it was decreed that he's supposed to take care of all these people and he's feeling the pressure that he's got to make all this money, but really it was going to come to him anyway. And all that happens when he feels the pressure and starts compromising his values is he goes and he unlawfully takes that which would have come to him lawfully. Now there's an old story. I don't know the source of it. I just remember a, a mashpia of mine told me this story a long, long, long time ago. Anyway... He told me that one time there was these two uh, pritzim, the, you know, the, the barons, the landowners back in Poland, and they were bragging to each other about whose Jews are more pious. And then they said, oh, you want to make it a little more interesting? Let's make a bet. Okay, let's make a bet. So one was saying, my Jews would never violate their Sabbath. So what did they do? They put the... Uh, a pile of gold in, in the street, in a, in a little road, uh, on, uh, you know, right before Friday evening. And then they went and they hid. They went to see what was happening. And, oh, and they bet with each other half their kingdom. Each one bet half of his kingdom. All right. So it was a high stakes, high stakes wager. Anyway, so the Jew comes walking. Do, 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 do. <gasps> he sees this gold. He looks up. He sees... It's dark already. It's, it's, it's Shkia. I mean, it's past Shkia. It's uh, Shabbos. But there's all this gold. And he stands there. And one of the, one, one potter's is thinking, oh, goody, let him take it. Then, you know, the other one loses the bet and I'll get half of his kingdom. And the other one is saying, oh, he better not take it because then I'll lose half my kingdom. Right? All right. And the Jew is standing there and he's looking at it. And he walks around the other side and he looks at it. He walks around the other side and looks at it. And he scratches his head, you know, strokes his beard, and he's looking at it. And this is going, you know, going on way too long for, uh, way too, uh, what do they call it, too close for comfort, for the one who's about to lose half of his kingdom. And then finally, the Jew just goes, ah, and he walks away. And when they realize that he has completely walked away, they jump out from behind the, you know, the tree where they were hiding, and they chase him. And uh, the one who just won the bet says, Jew, you just helped me to win a bet. I just won half of this guy's kingdom. Because he thought that my Jews wouldn't keep their Sabbath if they were tested. But you really, really, you know, you made it very suspenseful. That was a real uh, buzzer beater, right? A real nail biter. You, you really made it suspenseful. Let me ask you something. In the end, you walked away. But, you know, for a long time, I saw you, you were hesitating it took you a long time before you walked away. What were you thinking? So the Jew says to the Paretz, he says, I'll tell you. I saw the gold. I looked in the sky. I knew it was Shabbos. You know, you, you can't deny that it's Shabbos. So then I started thinking to myself, okay, on Shabbos, what can I do about this? Can I, like, sit on top of it the whole Shabbos and, and, and wait there? And I, you know, I won't 
you know, touch it? I'll just sit on it so no one else can take it. Or can I, you know, can I stand next to it maybe and watch it and, and you know, protect it? Or, uh, you know, maybe I can kick it down the road to my house. And I was going through all the different, I was trying to figure out, you know, based on what I know, you know, what I learned in yeshiva, how I could possibly keep this gold and not violate Shabbos. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and finally, I said, Hashem, come on already. You want to give me the gold? Give it to me in a normal way where I don't have to, you know, figure out what, how, how to do it. And I threw my hands like that, and I walked away. He says, well, Jew, because you came to that conclusion, I want to tell you, I just won this, this other Poritz's uh, half of his kingdom. After Shabbos, come see me, and I'm going to give you that gold and ten times more. And, and, and the point is like this. Like I said, this is a marshal that was the story, a marshal that was told to me by a mashpia of mine a long, long, long time ago. Anyone knows the source, you could you know, send it to me. But that story really, really stuck with me in a, in a serious way, because I've always thought about this, that you know, sometimes Hashem tests us by tantalizing us with something that we really, really want, but there are shilas, you know, there are questions about whether or not it's kosher. And you know what, Hashem, you, you, you have all the means at your disposal, you run the whole world. If you want to get this thing to me, do it in a way where I don't have to, you know, do it in a way that it's, it's, it's simple and it's clear to me. Don't, 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 uh, don't make it confusing, don't make it complex. Okay, and, and that's basically what this is saying here. If you have the pressure that you have to sustain a whole bunch of people, don't compromise your values because whatever you were supposed to get in order to be able to support all these other people, you're going to get it. And the only, the only thing that you're going to do by compromising your values is you're going to unlawfully take that which would have been given to you in a, in a, in a gracious way where, where you would have kept your, your Elam Haza and your Elam Haba and you would have lost nothing. Okay. Fine, let's continue. The Hasheni, in the second error that the person makes, A second error he could make. Not necessarily the same person making both errors. When he gets all this money that he's supposed to use to sustain others, he thinks it's his. He thinks it's meant for his sustenance. He doesn't know that there are three categories of wealth. Okay? So he doesn't have this wealth for his own use. How much wealth can a person use? You know, some people have more money than they can use. They don't have it for themselves. Clearly, they have it in order to, 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 to distribute it. All right? So that's the second error that a person makes. Now, I just want to give everybody a heads up because I see Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar does this a lot. He has no problem keeping track of lots of numbers, numbers within numbers, and the different conditions, and the different prefaces, and the different chapters. Okay, we're about to have different numbers within different numbers. We're talking about the three errors that a person can make. The second of the three errors is not to know that there are three categories of wealth. Okay, keep track of that. I'm keeping track of it, and I'll try to remind you. All right, so the second of the three errors when he's amassing this wealth, which is really for distribution, he thinks it's his, because he doesn't know that there are really three kinds of wealth. Okay. Echad mayhem, one category of wealth, Ted of Mezene, is actually for you. It's for your own uses. 
That's just to sustain your body, literally your personal wealth, just for your body, your person. And that's the sustenance that's guaranteed to every living being until the end of his life. Okay, that's guaranteed to everyone. Hashem who made you will sustain you. Okay, so that you have guaranteed, that comes with you. But then there's a second category of wealth. That's wealth that you have not for your personal body, not for your personal self, but for your wife and your children and your servants and your attendants, your staff. That's actually not guaranteed to all of Hashem's creatures. The first category is guaranteed to every creature. The second category is not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed you'll be able to support your family, God forbid. It's only for special people and under special conditions. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. According to the dictates of the Creator's ways of kindness and justice. Right? Chesed is the, the right hand, the Mishpat is Gvura, the left hand. Hashem is giving and He's withholding at the same time. He works it all out. And sometimes we get, sometimes we don't get. That's the second category. It's interesting, by the way, um, the Paslachim points out that if, if the first category is my own personal sustenance, which I will somehow get from Hashem, even if it's meager, even if it's just barely enough to keep me alive, but that's what's guaranteed to me. But it's not guaranteed to me that I'll be able to support my family um, or whoever else I have to support. That's the second category of wealth. Well, what about them? What about my wife and children and the people that I'm supposed to support? Aren't they guaranteed their own sustenance? So the Pas Lechem says, yes, they are. So even in the case that he doesn't have the second category of wealth, the wealth that he needs for his wife and children and staff and employees and whatever, um, they will get sustained somehow. Maybe not through him, but somehow. Okay. The Hashlishi and the third category of wealth, Ted of Kenyan. Money that you amass. Those are assets that you just you sit on. It's actually wealth that has no benefit to anybody. It's just zeros at the end of your bank account. It's not really sustaining you or anybody else. All right? So you keep it until you can bequeath it to someone else or until you lose it. So the fool thinks that all of this is first category wealth, the wealth that's for his own sustenance. So he's very eager for it and he works very hard for it. He's amassing more and more. He can't even spend it. He can't even spend it. And yet he's working hard for it because he, he's working on that third category wealth as if it were first category wealth. He's actually leaving it to his wife's second husband, or to his murderer, or to his greatest enemy. Because he can't ever use it. So where is it going to go? 
Okay, so he's going to die, and his wife will get remarried, and then she, she, so basically he's amassing the wealth for, for his wife's second husband. Or someone's going to murder him and take his wealth. Or somehow his greatest uh, enemy is going to, you know, um, you know that we mentioned this, the, the Yasef Maker Shabbos story, remember, a few classes ago? The rich guy who was amassing all that wealth, in the end it wasn't for him, it was for Yasef Maker Shabbos. Okay. So the, that's the second error, is that he doesn't realize the difference between the three categories of wealth. Okay, you see the difference between the different numbers? All right, all right. now let's go back to the first set of three, the three errors. All right, so what was the first error? What was the first error? You remember? First error? What was the first error? Is that he doesn't realize he doesn't have to compromise his values. Hashem, if you want to give it to me, give it to me with, with no shilas, right? That was the first, first error. Second error was that he doesn't realize that the money he's amassing is not for his own personal use. There are three categories of wealth. And what's the third error? The hashlishi and the third error, shuhunesin hatrofim lebaileem kemesha gazer lehem abed al yaday, is that he provides others with their income as a, as ordained for them by the Creator through his agency. Vuhuzeicher tevase lehem bahem ki iluhu hitrifam bahem vichelkol aisam vishasid bam alehem. And then he reminds them of his favor toward them as if it were he that provided them with income, supported them, and showed himself benevolent toward them. And he wants that they should thank him and to praise him excessively and that they should serve him because of it. And he's proud of it, becomes arrogant and haughty. And uh, he feels no gratitude toward them for this privilege. He thinks that if he were to deny others this income that he's dispensing to them, it would somehow remain in his possession, that he would have it. And if it weren't, wouldn't be for him, their income would be cut off. So he thinks he's such a nice guy, because he thinks, hey, this money is my money, and I'm choosing to give it to you. It's not yours. You're holding it for them. You only have it in order that you can support your family, pay your employees, give tzedakah, help your community. It's not yours. But he thinks, oh, it's mine, and if I weren't giving it, I would have it for myself, and they wouldn't have it. It's not true. You only have it because it's passing through your hands. Rabbeinu Bechaya now says something poetic. He is the pauper. This rich guy who, you know, is the town gvir, uh, he's the true pauper who labors in vain in this world and forfeits his reward in the world to come because he's making this error. He thinks that what he's doing is his, to his credit. It's not to his credit. He should be grateful that Hashem's using him as the pipeline to deliver this Parnassah.
In contrast, the intelligent person, we were talking about the fool so far, the intelligent person acts on all three counts in a way that accords with his religious and secular interests. His trust in what is in Hashem's hands is stronger than his trust in what he controls himself. He doesn't know which category wealth it is, if it's first category wealth or second category wealth. And he reaches or earns thereby. He attains honor in this world and a fitting reward in the world to come. Like it says in that song in Psalms, Hallelujah, Ashrei Ish Yore Es Hashem, in Tehillim Kuf Yud Base 112. Sing praise to Hashem. Happy is the man who fears Hashem. And uh, it's talking about somebody who is grateful to be a conduit for others. Parnasa, he realizes he is just a tool, he's just an instrument to be able to help others. Yeah. Okay, fine. Baruch Hashem. Um, we're going to finish here and we'll be back tomorrow night.